The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of My Story, Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Friday. Today's topic is Medicaid expansion and lupus and what it means to you. So, you know what I want you to do? That's right. Grab your cup of coffee your cup of tea and if you're listening late at night you know I appreciate you so grab your favorite glass of wine and come on and join me on this conversation creating opportunities for people and families. You can contact this nonprofit organization at www.abundantharvestaquaponics.org. Motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and creator of Right Side of 50, Life Lessons with Sheila Smith. To book her for your next empowerment conference, contact her at rightside50 at gmail.com or call 404 447 Six eight nine seven. 
welcome back. I got a question for you. How many know what class is? C-L-A-S. Okay, I'm going to give you a few seconds. Okay, your few seconds are up. Now I'm going to tell you what it is. National Standards on Culturally and Linguistically Appropriate Services. Now, in 1997, the Office of Minority Health, better known as OMH, in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service, began work on national standards for culturally and linguistically competent health care. The stated goal was to help reduce health disparities. OMH published draft standards in December of 1999 and solicited public comment through a variety of channels over a four-month period. Now, on December the 22nd, 2000, it published the final standards. Although the standards are primarily directed at healthcare organizations, OMH encourages their use by individual providers as well as by policymakers, accreditation and credentialing agencies, purchasers, patients, advocates, educators, and healthcare community in general. This information was provided by Health Policies Analysis, an interdisciplinary approach. Curtis P. McLaughlin, Craig D. McLaughlin. We're talking today about Medicaid expansion and what it means to you. Now, if you don't know or realize what Medicaid expansion is, some states have expanded their Medicaid programs to cover all people with household incomes below a certain level. Others haven't. Whether you qualify for Medicaid coverage depends partly on whether your state has expanded its program. Now, in all states, you can qualify for Medicaid based on income, household size, disability, family status, and other factors. Eligibility rules differ between states. In states that have expanded Medicaid coverage, you can qualify based on your income alone. If your household income is below 133% of the federal poverty level, you qualify. Because of the way this is calculated, it turns out to be about 138% of the federal poverty level. A few states use a different income limit. Now, 
If your income is low and your state hasn't expanded Medicaid, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you. If your state hasn't expanded Medicaid, your income is below the federal poverty level and you don't qualify for Medicaid under the state's current rules, you won't qualify for either health coverage savings program, Medicaid coverage or savings on a private health plan bought through the marketplace. But you have to find out why. And here are some reasons. When the health care law was passed, it required states to provide Medicaid coverage for all adults 18 to 65 with incomes up to 133%, effectively 138% of the federal poverty level, regardless of their age, family status, or health. The law also provides premium tax credits for people with income between 100% to 400% of the federal poverty level to buy private insurance plans in the health insurance marketplace. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court later ruled that the Medicaid expansion is voluntary with states. As a result, some states haven't expanded their Medicaid programs. Adults in those states with incomes below 100% of the federal poverty level who do not qualify for Medicaid based on disability, age, or other factors fall into a gap. Their incomes are too high to qualify for Medicaid to their states. Their incomes are below the range law set for savings on marketplace insurance plans. Now, states are continuing to make coverage decisions. They could expand Medicaid in the future. This information was retrieved from healthcare.gov. Now, when we come back, We'll be talking about Medicaid expansion and lupus. He is the author of Positive Energy 24-7. And his latest book, It Was Destined, Urban Legends. He's Detroit's own author, Henry Long, to purchase an autographed copy of his book and to purchase his e-book, go to writepath247.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-P-A-T-H 247.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at WritePath247.
If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. Allow me to throw out some statistics to you. And I know you've heard this a million of times, but I want you to truly listen. 1.5 million Americans have lupus, 5 million worldwide. 90% of the people living with lupus are women. Most develop this disease between the ages of 15 to 44. There is a best estimate based on available data per the Lupus Foundation on incidences of 16,000 new cases per year. Now, what do you think that means when it comes down to receiving quality health care? Now, that's when we bring in Medicaid expansion and lupus. Now, I need for you, everyone that's listening, if you're suffering with this illness, and even if you're not, if you're suffering with another chronic illness, you have to become aware of what is going on and stay For lupus, expanding Medicaid wasn't enough. Do you think an insurance card doesn't guarantee access to quality health care? Well, state expansions under the Affordable Care Act, better known as ACA, failed to reduce preventable hospitalizations among patients with systemic lupus erythematosus, better known as SLE, a retrospective study found in a fully adjusted model the likelihood of having a preventable hospitalization was significantly higher in states that expanded Medicaid with an odds ratio of 1.302 compared with states that did not expand Medicaid, according to Elizabeth A. Brown, Ph.D., and colleagues from the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. She states that She was surprised to see that after we controlled for socio-demographic factors like sex, age, insurance type, and median household income, our findings show that people hospitalized with lupus were significantly more likely, 30% higher odds to have a preventable lupus hospitalization 
in states that expanded Medicaid compared to states that did not expand Medicaid. Moreover, standardized costs associated with these hospitalizations also were higher by $523 in states with expanded Medicaid. She further stated her and her colleagues reported online in arthritis care and research. We all know that lupus can be difficult to diagnose and manage because of its complexity and variable course. And if patients do not have adequate access to care, they may be at risk of ineffective medications, disease complications and damage, and reliance on emergency care services. Medicaid expansion has increased the rate of health insurance coverage in participating states, but access to care remains problematic. A health insurance card does not lead to immediate access to health care. An insurance card does not create convenient office hours, guarantee transportation to medical provider, and does not address the unique needs of each individual patient that deals with lupus. Now, study findings, the ACA was intended to broaden access to primary and specialty care and help contain costs to examine the effects of the law's implementations of patients with SLE, Brown's group analyzed data from four states that expanded Medicaid. Those states included Arizona, Kentucky, New York, and New Jersey. And four states did not. That's Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. The data were obtained from the Agency for Health Care Research and Qualities, Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project State Inpatient Database. Preventable hospitalizations were defined as those that could be avoided if the patient was adequately managed in the community and included conditions such as asthma, congestive heart failure, and diabetes. Changes over time were compared from January 2012 to September 2015, with the ACA having been implemented on January 1st, 2000. Now, in the eight states included in this analysis, there were 204,150 hospitalizations among patients with SLE, with 
53% of thieves in the states without Medicaid expansion. In these states, there were more hospital admissions among patients who were minorities, 52.5% versus 47.5%. Men, 52.73% versus 47.27%. And residents of rural areas, 60 point nine percent versus thirty nine point ninety one percent and more were considered preventable fifty four point thirty four percent versus forty five point sixty six percent the most common conditions associated with preventable hospitalizations were pneumonia congestive heart failure, and cellulitis. In a statistical model that considered only Medicaid expansion, the odds of having a preventable hospitalization was significantly lower in the expansion states, or 0.958 to 95%. Despite the findings that overall risk of preventable admissions was higher in the expansion states, other factors contributed significantly to this risk. Age, 55 to 64 versus 20 to 34 years of age, Medicaid insurance, or 1.298, that's 95%, uninsured, or 1.334, which is 95%, lowest median income clock trial, or 1.138, 95%. These findings are consistent with existing evidence that avoidable hospitalizations occur more often among older and poor patients, suggesting that these patients have more difficulty accessing care. Previous studies have also identified lower income as reflected by Medicaid insurance as a factor influencing access to care. Now, one study confirmed that patients with SLE enrolled in Medicaid had to travel further for specialized care and relied more often on primary care and emergency rooms. More action is needed. Medicaid coverage alone may not be sufficient to encourage effective use of healthcare services. Further policy initiatives, interventions, and operational changes will be needed to address access to care as well as associated patient level factors in order to provide
cost-effective chronic disease management. Now, Brown added, we should promote the use of highly skilled patient navigators, community health workers, and social workers who are trained to help patients get to their appointments, navigate complex hospital systems, and combat surprise billing. One option to improve access to care would be to enhance socioeconomic status by developing better education policies and opportunities for primary, secondary schools so that individuals can get better employment and therefore earn higher incomes and afford private health insurance for not only themselves, but also for their families. Brown further suggested, she noted that in general, research, research studies, excuse me, have found that patients with private insurance have better outcomes. She also questioned whether patients new to insurance received the guidance they needed to use the healthcare system effectively. Did we teach them when to go to the primary care doctor versus when to go to the emergency room? Did we consider that they may be hourly employees with no annual or sick leave and the emergency room may be the most convenient form of care? Did we establish a patient-provider relationship built on trust and communication? Or did we provide a lot of people with health insurance and say, you figure it out? Now, just maybe we are seeing the effects of that in research studies like this one. Do you think health care is a privilege or a right? Do you think that having a blue cross and blue shield provides you with better care than Medicaid? It's time that we all wake up, use our mind, don't be ashamed to say, I don't know. Don't be ashamed to ask the question. Become involved in your health care. As I stated before, do you think health care is a privilege or a right? We'll discuss that next. I located an article written by Armstrong Williams of The Hill. The article is entitled, Is Healthcare a Right, a Privilege, or Neither? And the article states, It seems that our politicians have not yet struck that balance between safety net and individual responsibility. Given already disastrous budgets, as we plow full speed ahead toward the 
fiscal cliff and a mandatory health care plan that will lessen the quality of our health care system as we know it and muddle our mission toward the poor. At the same time, we also have a moral duty to take care of our fellow man, regardless of the cause. The implications of the narrowed view of health care as a right or privilege is that there is no difference between rights and laws. The Founding Fathers stated that we have rights to live, liberty, and property, and advocated a government that protects those rights. If we interpreted our Constitution correctly, America was built on the principle that government exists to protect our rights that already exist, not dictate what rights we have, do not have, or should have. But health care cannot be a privilege, either if we look at the true definition of privilege. Privilege is a special favor granted by another entity, whether it is government, the private sector, or within a household. It is also not something that we only obtain from the government. Health care is, however, a service that is provided through both public and private means. If we want to live out the liberties granted to us by our founders, we should reserve our right to purchase health care on the free market, allowing opportunities for those to purchase at affordable rates, not by allowing health care controlled by bureaucrats. Think about it. People, if you don't think that there's two different types of care, People in this United States of America receive based on insurance is not happening, it is. Example, one person will have Blue Cross, another person will have Medicaid. Who do you really think will receive the best care possible? Think about that. In the society we live in today, care is based on what type of insurance you hold. If you have state insurance such as Medicaid, you will receive the basic care. If you have a commercial insurance as Blue Cross Blue Shield, you will receive quality care. It is in my opinion, in my belief, and I stand strong on this, regardless of whatever insurance card you may carry in your pocket or purse, we all should receive top 
quality health care. I further expect that managing trade-offs rather than implementing radical changes will be gerst for health policy analysts. Mill for some years to come. Each time a new program or regulation is proposed to deal with one aspect of health care access, cost, and quality, the policy analysts must present to the interested parties the trade-offs that have to be made, their magnitude and their consequences, intended and otherwise. The policy analysts will have to look at the desired impact, the unintended consequences, the distributional effects, the ethical issues, the technologic impact, the financial feasibility, and oh yes, the political feasibility. And the best way to implement the proposal and from that come up with a justified recommendation to the parties involved, the politicians, and the public. Now, such analysis do not necessarily lead to earth-shaking decisions, but they are necessary if we are to make things better rather than worse. There will be much work to do how successful it will be, in all likelihood, will be a matter of leadership as much as anything else. However, those who would lead, especially from a professional position, must participate both in effective analysis and rational leadership. I thank you for joining me today on my story, Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'll see you next week for another episode. Have a most peaceful and enjoyable weekend.